0: The good sound. Last week we talked about the courts of heaven. And I want to redefine or, or or restate what we defined it as: that the courtrooms of heaven are an endless activity of refining and accountability to the people of God for the purpose of walking out how the Father views us. He views us as pure and spotless. So when we invite him to judge us, we actually anticipate that and say, I want to get before your courts. Because when I come into your courts, anything that doesn't match up with how you view me has to be exposed so that I can deal with that thing that was exposed. Not because the, the father is trying to tell you how bad you are, but because he wants you to come into agreement with how good you are. That's the the, the good judge. The, the, the idea of God being a judge is not our idea in America of the judge is the one to fear because he may sentence you this way or that way. He's a judge of whatever's not the true you I want exposed. And at the end of chapter 4, <clears throat> God points out that the ones he was bringing into the fire, if you will, that ones that he held responsible for the stay of the nation were not the president, not the governor's not the Senate. Oh, is this too is this too much already? It was the priests. It was the people of God. He held them responsible for people walking in such opposition to him. They didn't stand in truth. In fact, they threw the truth to the side just to get the people's agreement, which unfortunately where the church has gone. Whatever we can do to get people in the seats, we will do, and we will toss aside truth just to get agreement. And we should never throw God's standards away just to get people. We pointed out that we are a royal priesthood, so you can't blame, you know, Pastor Kyle on the stay of the church. You can't blame the pastors. You can't blame the clergy, because fact of the matter is, there is no such thing as clergy and lay. We all priests. Scripture says that we are a royal priest or we are priests and kings. So God says, I hold the church responsible because there is a level of knowledge in all of you, and we're held accountable to that knowledge. It's really easy to blame the ones with the microphone. But truthfully, we all have a microphone in some degree of our lives somewhere, a sphere of influence. And God has given you a knowledge, God has filled you with the Holy Spirit with a power so that you can accomplish every good work that he has prepared for you. So we can't hold the responsibility of the church in the hands of few. We've got to take responsibility at some point. And as we move into Hosea chapter 5, we see that last week God pointed out that the priests are held responsible. Tonight, he's actually going into talking about how the nation was operating in, in, in that judgment, if you will. So I want to start out in verses 1 through 3. It says this. Hear this, you priests. So let's put that in today. Hear this, church. Pay attention, you leaders of Israel. Listen, you members of the royal family. That's good. You're royal. Start acting like it. Judgment has been handed down against you. You have led the people into a snare by worshiping the idols at Mizpah and Tabor. You have dug a deep pit to trap them at a case of grove. But I will settle with you for what you have done. I know what you're like, O Ephraim. You cannot hide yourself from me, O Israel. You have left me. As a prostitute leaves her husband, you are utterly defiled. I must have spent two days on those first three verses. Because I was just asking God, what is in this that we haven't already pointed out? And this is what God was showing me. God says, I am holding you responsible for taking places known for God's blessing and presence and making them centers of cult worship and idolatry. The fact of the matter is, some of the biggest landmarks in what most people call one of the most haunted, darkest cities in the area are actually churches. And they become tourist attractions rather than places of light for people to come to know him. So it's no circumstance to me that God is using the obscure places like the ones behind pawn shop and liquor stores to do his work. Having said that, God has not forgotten those places. And I believe that we, the church, are held responsible for restoring what was lost. And one of the biggest things that we get in... um, given a rut of, a trap of, is we love to point fingers at what's not going on instead of taking responsibility for God, what would you have us do? He says, church, you have dug out a deep pit to trap them. He says, you should have led them out of the corruption. Instead, you've played on what the people wanted And you caused them to fall into a trap of ignorance and corruption. He says, priests, church, you dug the trap with your compromise to gain the masses. And the trap that they have fallen into has caused them to become utterly defiled. Another way to say that is priests, preachers, pastors, people of God, you have compromised in truth To the point of you won't point out what is wrong to where the people have embraced what is wrong as right because you stay silent. And because you have stayed silent and the world has not heard the sound of God, by your compromise you're digging a trap. And no one knows what's right, and no one knows what's wrong. And the culture of today is you can't even say anything without worrying about offending somebody. So we have developed a culture of anything goes. And the ones that are growing up in the church or in the world, they are embracing this philosophy of anything is God. I'm going to point out this young man right here. How old are you? Ten years old. Derek called me this week about this 10-year-old, can I just say man of God. He was talking about Jesus to his friends at school, and the teacher told him to stop. And what did you do when she said stop? I didn't care. I just kept, go- I just kept talking about Jesus. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's been lost with the adults. Amen. Is, is that okay? Yeah. On the whole, we dug traps... Of compromise. Now some versions in the scripture, it doesn't necessarily say just dug traps. It actually says you're knee deep in slaughter. It says, church, you have led the people to a place where they compromise out of ignorance because you won't lead them out of it. And because they fall into that trap, they're spiritually dead. He didn't blame Satan. You ever notice most of the scripture, God never mentions them? But in the church, it's the enemy and Satan, Satan and Satan. And sometimes we got to understand the blame that God was putting on these people. He says, I'm blaming the church for digging a trap that led them to agree with the things of Satan. If we are going, is this okay so far? If we are going to claim the authority as the priesthood of God, because we love shouting and yelling that we're the priests and the kings, then we have got to understand that we can't keep blaming the devil for everything. We represent the state of this place, and we need to begin to speak up and not stay silent. The church has a call to stand on a solid ground of truth. The problem is we've limited truth to theology divorced from experience let me tell you what I mean by that what the church has become is we're going to build an organization off of one man's revelation and we never allow the Holy Spirit to let us experience something that could take us into a deeper theological construct that's what religion does Religion does things like John Wesley had a great revelation. And we're never going to allow experience with God to shift us out of his revelation. Or John Calvin. Or whatever, or whatever, you, whatever theologian you want to name. What we've done is we've embraced they had a revelation and we divorce it from our experience. A, a very simple example is this. Like I grew up in the Baptist church, I've I've shared this story many a time, and I believe that spiritual gifts were not for today. But then I began to experience it. So I had a choice. I could deny the power of Holy Spirit because it didn't line up with my theology, or I can weigh that experience, and if that experience was backed by Scripture, then my theology needs to shift. I believe we're at a crossroads in the church where we've got to start daring to say, God, show us what we have not received. And I believe that part of that is understanding the power of a unified sound. Because if we're going to do things that not even Jesus did while he was here on this earth, we've got to be willing to walk in a faith to go places where we have not seen. And to go places we have not seen, we can't weigh those experiences with things that are only seen in the past. But we have to make sure that whatever we walk into is validated by the word. Is is this? Okay. Where we are going, where this church is headed, is that we are a people that will not only know the truth, but we will actually start to act on it that will shift every theological construct. That there will be such a level of presence in the way we do things that those that are in religious strongholds will have to shift their theology by what they're experienced out of a unified people. For the lost, for the saved, and for those who think they saved. Scripture talks about it. Many will proclaim my name, but I will say it to you, I never knew you. Yeah, you went to church every weekend, but you weren't praising me. Right? So we've got to we're going to a place where we, it's not just gonna be look at how we grow an organization. It's look how we shift an area. Okay. In 2 Timothy, referencing the word of God, it says this in 317. God uses it, God uses the word, to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Good work is not just acts of kindness and service. I believe the most powerful good work in you is the good work of your sound. Because sometimes we get too silent And sometimes silence looks like being passive about things. You see a brother or a sister going down the path they shouldn't and your response is just let them do what they do instead of putting a sound to it. Right? A sound of accountability. A sound of, hey, you're better than that. Sometimes silence looks like waiting on the pastor to create an event rather than just doing it. Like, you feel led to pray, but you feel like you got to get my permission. Trust me, if the Holy Spirit is in you, you ain't got to get my permission to pray. Right? But that's the culture the church has built. We built a culture on make, make sure I get permission from leadership to do everything. There are some things that you are just called to do. Don't call Pastor Kyle and say, can I walk my neighborhood and pray for my neighborhood? Do it and then call Pastor Kyle with the testimony. (laughs) We've got to stop being silent. There's a good sound in you. Sometimes silence looks like a prostitute of grace message. We're covered in grace so we can just do, we got one little man man over here praising, but clapping, I got something over here. Sometimes silence looks like the prostituted grace message of, hey, Jesus covers you in the blood, so it's okay if you do. Grace does not excuse your actions. Grace allows you to carry something that you forfeited the ability to carry. Assignments, power, authority, influence. And when we stay silent and allow these things to just be, what we're doing is we're digging. We're digging traps for people to keep doing what they're doing. And we don't care enough about the purpose and their soul and their gifts that we allow them to just be in what they're they're doing. Same thing in the church. We stay silent about ineffective ministries and do the ministries because we started them. Right? We've become, too, we've become too passive. On the other side of that, some people get really loud with the wrong sound. Church people love to expose people's wrongs without honor. I, I teach this all the time when we have leadership meetings When you're going up to someone with the sound of you shouldn't do that or what are you doing, I always use the example of when you spill a can of paint in a garage, you don't spread the paint throughout the garage. You clean up the paint. You know what church loves to do? When someone messes up, we spread it to every area that that mess up has not touched, and we've thrown away their chance at redemption and restoration. So you got to make sure that every sound we make is edifying to the body. Not divisive. Not hurtful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good sound. And the good work of your sound doesn't look like saying things over your kids like he'll never amount to anything. Or she's never going to change. Or speaking things like the world is going to hell. The earth doesn't respond in a positive way to that sound. Everything responds to what we say. The question is, are we speaking death or are we speaking life? I don't think we weigh the influence of our sound enough. And one thing we love to do, and I'm guilty of this myself, so I, you know, I'm not calling anyone out. I'm not calling, putting myself on the carpet. Many times what we'll do is we'll say, well, I was just joking. But it still left your lips. Is this heavy? Or we spend more time speaking death over a thing than life over a thing. In Hosea, he says, you ain't been saying nothing worth with life-giving stuff. You've been allowing anything. You've been allowing death. You're knee-deep in slaughter. You've caused the people to leave God for an am covered in grace lifestyle. You let them fall. you cause caused them to depend on you rather than show them truth. And they're learning how to depend on a fallen priest rather than the God that is bigger and better than anything. I believe that's why much of the prophetic has been silenced in church. Because we're... Can I go here? We're so scared that prophets are going to get it wrong instead of allowing them to get it wrong but teaching the people how to discern whether or not to give the word in agreement. So what we do is when, you know, Johnny has a word... We put them through 45 filters of making sure it's a right word to give. But maybe the filter should just be teaching people how to discern, is that for them or is it not, and let them learn by failure just as much as success. The only way you can do that is unify together in such a way where we lift each other up even when we get it wrong so that we can say, you got that wrong. They say, thank you. Instead of agreeing with a culture that is worldly of when I have the slightest offense, I'm going to look for a door. Right? You know what the good sound and offense is? Let's talk about it for the purpose of one thing. Unity. Is this? Okay. So we've created on this... On a dependence on leaders rather than dependence of the Holy Spirit. Because we are so scared that we're gonna get things wrong that we've gotta put it through the filter of, let me make sure I can release it. We've gotta shift that culture. We've gotta get to a place where we are, this meeting is not about, let me just get in the presence of God. It's about let me get in the presence of God and get equipped so that even when they get it wrong, I know where to put my sound to. That's why this meeting can't be about an evangelical, let's get them in here to get them saved. It's let's train you up so that wherever you go, everything has to bow to his name. Because where you go, you're releasing a different kind of Sound. That everything turns a head to and says, what is that? When Jesus spoke to the the wind and the waves when he was on the boat and they were still, the earth responded to a sound it had not heard in a long time. The same kind of sound that came out of Moses when he spoke to the, 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 the water in the Red Sea. You see, it wasn't just that Jesus gave the sound. It was the word of God that can come out of you just like it can come out of Jesus. And We've lost the sound. Uh, y'all look at me wide-eyed. like <laughs> God is bringing us to a place, developing a group of people, where all of us will be totally dependent on the Holy Spirit so that when the winds of the Spirit blows, there is a resounding yes and that good sound of agreement carries through all the dark and hidden places and lights it up. Can I read that again? Yes. God is bringing us to a place, developing a group of people where all of us are totally dependent on Holy Spirit so that when the winds of the Spirit blow, when the winds of the Spirit to say go here or go there, we don't have to question it for 45 minutes with votes. We just say yes. And that sound of agreement carries through all the dark and hidden places and lights it all up. Because we're willing to go where no one else will go. That is being apostolic. Yeah, amen. We're willing to venture out and journey into places where there is no system for it. There is no protocol for it. The only protocol we know is yes. The people in Hosea... The church in Hosea, Israel, God's people, have given themselves over to any ideal that pleases their soul, and they've not submitted to God, much like the people today. And God says, I see you, Israel. I see you, Ephraim. I see your ideals. I see your culture. And God says, I rebuke the culture because it doesn't look like mine. Why has the culture gotten there? They've lost the sound. They're praising their own things. You know what Judah means? Praise. Now Judah was the better one of Judah and Israel at this time, but Judah still had work to do, we're going to see. What did they lose? They were starting to shift the sound of praise to Yahweh to idol worship. The praise of folly and sin. Much like the church today. We say we give praise to Yahweh, but when you allow sin to run rampant without correction, like when we're saying it's okay to ordain homosexuals in the church or tell them it's okay to live in that lifestyle, you may think you're giving a sound of praise to him, but you're giving the sound of praise to their identity issue. It's one thing for people to go through mess-ups. It's one thing to celebrate the sin and call it good right? And that goes over everywhere in the church. God says, I see you. I see your culture. I see what's going on. He says, grace did not make a way for sin and the prostitution of my love. Grace made a way for you to carry what you forfeited. Hebrews 4.13 addresses this. He says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. And he is the one to whom we are accountable. He says, everything is naked and exposed. Now the interesting thing here, there's a Greek word used here for naked and exposed called tracheliso. Can y'all try to say that? Tracheliso. That was really good. Not really. Tracheliso. It was Now listen to this. It was a word used to describe wrestlers getting a grip on the opponent's neck. It was a word used for a wrestler to get a grip on an opponent's neck. And the grip was so powerful that the opponent gave in so that the wrestler had victory. So God says, your culture may look like that. But I trachally so everything in creation. And in his grip, in the father's grip, he, I believe he is waiting on his bride to help creation regain the breath that it was intended for, the breath of God, rather than gasping for this false life-giving breath found in everything else. And perhaps in times of struggle, think about the grip. You're gripping the neck. What would happen? They're they're, they're having a struggle to do what? Breathe. And perhaps in times of struggle, maybe you need a reminder of maybe God is waiting for you to depend on him so you don't have to find breath in turmoil. You know how to breathe despite the battle because what's being brought up in you, God doesn't have to do this because you're no longer depending on the false breath. You're in his hand to such a degree where the breath that is giving you life is not getting out of the struggle, but the breath of God and life in the middle of the struggle. Because what we do is we give a sound of, I can't wait for this to pass so that I can, when God says, you're depending on that breath and not mine. Peace should not come once you're out of debt. And if you're waiting on debt to go for you to get peace, that means the debt relief is your breath. And until you realize that, God says, "I see that culture, and I trap your lease o you." Is this Look what happens in verse 14 through 16 of Hebrews 4. everything we went through and he did not sin, if we come boldly before him, you will find grace. Why, why was that possible for him? Because he depended on a certain type of breath. When the enemy tried to say, if you do this, I'll give you this, he says, I don't breathe by your offering. My breath, my life is from my father. And because I depend on his life giving breath, No matter what comes at me, I will not compromise that breath versus his. I will not compromise his breath for that breath. And he says, when you come boldly to my throne, you'll find grace in his breath so you won't struggle with this new natural of a good sound. He says, you depend on my life, you depend on what I give you, and a good sound natural from heaven to earth won't be a struggle for you. In other words, I can tell by your sound whether or not you hold firmly to his breath. Or if you're struggling in a grip because you won't submit to him. Instead, you're loving the artificial breathing. Is this making sense? Yes. Artificial breathing, compromise to get a return. He says, you're you're going to struggle in that over and over and over because that's not my breath. Depend on me. I am the giver of life. There is a natural sound that comes when we depend only on him. In fact, it happened in Acts chapter 2. Now, we read this a lot, but God showed me something a little different in it. In Acts 2, 2, it says, suddenly there was a a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. It filled the house where they were sitting. Now, immediately when the sound from heaven came, it says they were filled And what church does is say, the first evidence of being filled was to speak in tongues. Can I push that theology? The first evidence of being filled was a new sound. When a house submits to the Holy Spirit in a unified way, the first fruit is a a new sound. Because we're depending only on him, not anything else. We're not depending on the structure. We're not depending on the system. We're not depending on what the world or what the church says is acceptable forms of worship. When we are filled, we just, the first response, there's a new sound. Whether that be a tongue or whether it be a thank you in the middle of your biggest struggle. Because many times in the midst of struggle, the first thing we start to say is why, 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 why. When you are filled by his breath. Thank you. I trust. What would you have me? New new sound. They were in one place seeking God together. And the response of heaven in their unified posture was a good sound. And the agreement in the room was a good sound. And yet the church oftentimes is filled with anything but a good sound. And God says, I see your culture and my grip is on you because I long for my sons and daughters to release a good, life-giving sound. Not the sound that I've been hearing murmur among the congregation. Right? And it has happened since the beginning. Look at what happened right after Adam and Eve sinned. Genesis 3.8. It says, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, when the wind... The man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden, and they hid from the Lord among the trees. This is what God showed me. Acts 2 was a restoration to a response that Adam should have had. Genesis 3. They heard the wind, revealing the steps of God. They hid. Acts 2. They heard the wind, revealing the presence of God. They submitted. What happens today in the church? When a new wind blows, we have two choices. That doesn't fit in my theology. Because I'm naked, right? That's what Adam and I, well, We, we got to hide. Or we submit and say yes. And what is the first fruit of that submission? A new sound. Oh. In grace... You can carry the sound or run from it. And I want to be a church that carries it. I want to be a church that says yes to all the unfamiliar winds of the Holy Spirit. Look at, look at what happens in Hosea 5, 4 through 6. <clears throat> this, is, this, is, this is good stuff. It says, your deeds won't let you return to your God. You are a prostitute through and through and you do not know the Lord. The arrogance of Israel testifies against her. Israel and Ephraim will stumble under their load of guilt. Judah, too, will fall with them. Which, remember, Judah was the better one of the two, but he's speaking against Judah, too. You know, don't don't posture yourselves as great when you got a speck to remove, right? When they come with their flocks and herds to offer sacrifices to the Lord, they will not find him because he's withdrawn from them. That's a scary thought. They're coming to bring offerings. They're coming to bring their tithes. They're coming to bring their worship. And he withdrew. They won't find him. Your deed, it says your deeds won't let you return to God. You bring sacrifices and offerings to God, but you won't find God. Their, their repentance was empty because their offerings didn't match their lifestyle. And many people think they are seeking God when church meetings have become actually superficial gestures that dig traps for people making them think they're right because they gave God an offering once a week. So what, what kind of trap has the church dug? Get to church so that you can live the rest of the week and do your thing so you can come back and repent again and go do your thing so you can repent again. And I know you must have lived horrible this week, so come to church. It's a trap. And what's happening is God says, I'm rejecting that offering because it's not true. Praise and worship should not be something you come to do just on Saturday or Sunday. It should be a lifestyle, and the corporate unity is an expression of private praise and worship. If I can push a little more, the level that we go to It's not dependent on how good a band is or how good a preacher is or how good a call to worship is or how good anything is on a Saturday night. You know what it's dependent upon? The priests. And we've got to get to a place where any sound that does not agree with that, get that sound out. We've got to get to a place where we are so unified in going after God that the only thing that we're concerned with is I want to live by the breath of him. And the stuff I say and the stuff I do, if it doesn't align with his breath, God, refine me so that I don't need a breathing machine anymore. I don't need the breathing machine of, you know, something as simple as my coffee in the morning. I don't need the breathing machine of that TV show when I get home from work because I had a horrible day. I find peace not in any sort of machine or replacement. I find peace in you. And the other stuff is just things to enjoy. Why not? Right? Not the bad stuff. A good sound exposes any of that. We can't just be a family seeking God in a meeting. We must simply be a family seeking God. Yeah. And we can be so set in our rebellion that God will actually leave us up to, ourse- up to ourselves in a grip until we get to a place where we stop striving for breath and start abiding in His. Genesis 2-7, the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. The most complete form a man existed in breath, and he forfeited it when he went from breath to, what is that fruit? I'm breathing just fine, but what is that thing that God said I couldn't eat? If you think about it, was the fall of man really all that different from the fall of Satan? It says Satan fell like lightning. You know how long it took for man to fall? Both were judged in a moment. Why? Man and Satan saw something they were never meant to have, and they went for it. They wanted a glory for themselves. Adam said, I want that fruit. Satan said, "I want that sound." Satan was the worship leader of heaven. His job: take the glory and pass it up. Read it. In his very makeup, he was made with timbrels and pipes and instruments. It's probably why the most problems in churches start with the sound. Right? It, oh, you all know about that. He says, I want that sound. And because Satan wanted the sound for himself, he went after the sound in man called agreement. So you know what he started saying? He said, that that fruit ain't that bad. Take it. And it's no different than when we see something and we give the sound of death over a thing rather than the sound of life. We're giving agreement to death when it was never supposed to be part of our sound. So stop saying, I will never amount to anything, because that is not your sound. Stop saying, God can't use me, because you are in direct rebellion to what he speaks over you. Well, Kyle, you don't know what I've been through. Who cares what you've been through? (laughs) Read the Bible. There wasn't one figure other than Jesus who had his cards right. All they needed to do was give one sound. Yes. Many don't know how to abide in the sound of his breath because our rebellion causes God to stand back and watch with a grip. He says, I see you. I see your culture. I see your sound. You are exposed in my hand. I'm not going to accept that offering until there is a moment of surrender and I will accept your offering called repentance. And then when you give that to me, give me the sound, give me the offering, give me the praise but I don't want the superficial stuff. I want all of you. And it'll be messy, and it'll be hard, but the fruit is so good. James 3 says this in verses 4 through 5. A small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. Now, verse 6 speaks of the fire of hell that your tongue can bring. But can you imagine the fire of his courts burning through a church, a city, and a region because of the tiny spark of a good sound? There's power of life and death in the tongue. So if you give a small spark of death, It's like a fire burning up everything. But if you gave a small spark of life, speaking over your family, speaking over your kids, speaking over this church, speaking over the city, speaking over presidents you don't agree with. You want things to change? Why are you killing them with your sound? They're horrible. That's what we say. Well, they're not, they don't support this, so we're just going to speak against them. Maybe we need to change the sound from the church. It's not get the right politician in necessarily. Now, do I believe in getting political? Absolutely, but hear me out. Even if the one that we feel like doesn't get in gets in, how do we change it? Change the sound. Because there is something in them that still is potential. So how dare we kill their potential with a spark that burns them up rather than a spark that could refine them? The the good sound. Like when a married couple who hasn't spoken to each other in a while has a tiny spark of I love you or I'm sorry or you look good today. Like when prophecy isn't hindered. And if someone comes up and gives a tiny spark of, God told me to tell you that he sees your pain and he loves you. Or that there is still time. Or the tiny spark of, he is pleased with you. You don't know my life, doesn't matter. There is something about you that he loves. A tiny spark can burn up all the no's to create a ground for a Yes if we would just start releasing that good sound. God speaks through Hosea in verse 7. It says, They have betrayed the honor of the Lord, bearing children that are not His. Now their false religion will devour them along with their wealth. Sound the alarm in Gibeah. Blow the trumpet in Ramah. Raise the battle cry in Beth-Avon. Lead on in the battle, O warriors of Benjamin. One thing is certain, Israel. On your day of punishment you'll become a heap of rubble. He says your religion is useless because you've lost your sound. So when the sound of the enemy comes, you can make your sound all you want, but you ain't going to stand a chance. Because what we'll do when we go through battles in our life, is really easy to start praising God. And you know what sometimes God does? I haven't heard that in a while. Yeah, keep on. <laughs> it ain't working, is it? You want to know why? James one twenty six tells us. If you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself. And your religion's worthless. Oh, yeah, you can praise all they do like. I, I hear the praise you give your boss on Monday. oh yeah, I know you come to the altar call asking for healing or that thing every week. I know how you talk to your family. Now, can I? Because what, I preach this all the time. That God healed people in the Bible that didn't even know him. Right? Well, I'm not talking about the people that don't know him right now. I'm talking about the ones that do. Sometimes God's like, I, want, I know you want healing, you priests. you got the knowledge. You've got the light. You aren't like the lost. You can come to this altar all day, but your religion of your altar call is worthless if you don't find your good sound. We love to play church. He says, this right here, This should match your life. This should match your go-tos. So when you come here, if your automatic thing is praise God, why isn't that your sound? Is this okay? It says in verse 10 that the leaders of Judah have become like thieves. Now this is where it gets interesting. I'll pour my anger on them like a waterfall. The people of Israel will be crushed and broken by my judgment because they're determined to worship idols. I will destroy Israel as a moth consumes wool. I'll make Judah as weak as rotten wood. When Israel and Judah saw how sick they were, Israel turned to Assyria, to the great king there, but he could neither help them or cure them. Which is kind of interesting because for some reason the church keeps looking to man to cure the nation. I won't go there right now, even though I just did. (laughs) He says, leaders of Judah, you're better than Israel, but you've got your own problems too, and you need to repent. Don't get prideful in you being favored. you got to deal with your stuff. In verse 10, it's most accurately translated like this. What I read was the leaders of Judah have become like thieves. Most accurately, it says this. You leaders of Judah are like those who remove a landmark. You leaders of Judah are like those who move a landmark. God is is pointing at them and saying, you're the kind of leaders that would change property boundaries to your advantage. But what they were doing was not shifting property lines. They were shifting spiritual lines. Changing boundaries between right and wrong. Changing boundaries between true and false religion. Oh, yeah, you can talk all day. It's fine. Right? Changing boundary between God and idols. God says, I will destroy Israel, and I'm going to make you, Judah, as rotten as wood. You're shifting the lines. Judah is known for praise. That's the word. It's praise. You're shifting the lines, and you're giving praise to too much stuff that ain't me. Right? God says, I will destroy Israel and make Judah as rotten wood. He says, I will make sure I will take away what they got and they will no longer increase. They'll rot, slowly but surely. And no man and no authority is going to be able to fix you or help you but me. All because you're giving your sound to anything but me. You want to know what the biggest problem is in the church in America? We give more sound to our country than our God. I believe the United States of America has become an idol. If you think that God loves America any more than any other country, you just idolized it. Well, I'm offended by that. Thank the Lord you are. Because God has plans for every single soul on this earth. He has a restoration plan for everything. And we've got to make sure that we get in line with a good sound. He says, a president's not going to be able to fix you. The leader of a state's not going to be able to fix you. I'm looking for my church to get the sound that's going to shift things so all the lost have to submit to the sound without them even knowing where the sound came from. Everything is in chaos. Why? Because the earth is groaning for the sons and daughters of God to release a sound. What sound are we releasing? He is so jealous. He says, I'm going to keep you in my grip, and you're going to rot away. You're going to decrease. You're not going to have any life to your stuff, and I'm going to keep you there until you understand I want one thing. I want the sound of your praise. I want relationship. I don't care about your meetings. I want you. He says, I want your sound. I want your worship. But anger's getting your sound. Bitterness is getting your sound. I want your sound. I want you. I want your praise. I want your life. I want what comes out of your mouth to be as if it was Scripture flowing naturally. Yes. Yes. And then he closes the whole chapter out by saying this. I'll be like a lion to Israel, like a strong young lion to Judah. I will tear them to pieces. See, even this is good because you're like, God, like this is like, you know, getting rated R almost. You're tearing them to pieces. But look, he says, I will tear them to pieces. I'll carry them off. No one will be left to rescue them for for one reason. Then I'll return to my place until they admit their guilt and turn to me. So as soon as trouble comes, they'll earnestly search for me. You know what God just did? He said, I'm going to let you rot. I'm going to let you walk knee deep in your slaughter. I'm going to let you decrease and decrease and decrease for one one reason, not to turn my back from you, but for you to get to a place where you have to start searching for me because I want your sound back. I want your praise. I want the relationship. I want you, and I will let you never go anywhere until you get that. He says, all I want is for you to repent. All I want is for you to turn to me. All I want is for you to search for me. I believe that the church has a call to submit to the sound he wants. And it's not a sound of believe what you want. It's not a sound of hold on, Jesus is coming back. I believe that can actually be a hindering sound. Because we'll make excuse for the status of the world saying, it's okay, Jesus is coming back. When Jesus says, well, until I do, you cannot agree that that's okay. Don't take this status as normal. You go to it, my government, my ecclesia, and you bring change. Yes. It's not the sound of getting saved because time is running out. Can I just say something? God didn't need to create hell for you to love him. You know what evangelism evangelism has turned into? Scare the hell out of them. Is that okay that I said that this time? In context? That's what we've turned it into. Instead of just showing them how good he is. Show them how just he is. Show them that he is a love they've been yearning for. Show them that their sound has been given to all these other things and God is letting them decrease until they start to search him out to say, oh, okay, okay there's my sound. You know what the fact of the matter is? God is looking at some of us tonight, all of us tonight, and it's asking all of us the same question. Where's, where's that sound? There's still something in you that I'm not getting. I want that sound. I want your worship. I, I want that relation. I want you to depend on me even though you're trying to depend on that. You know what the good sound is? God wants you. You know what the good sound is? God, I want you. Repentance should no longer be a legalistic term. Repentance should, should simply be an invitation to relationship. That we don't turn to God out of duty. We turn to God out of a new, out of a new desire. I'm going to close with this scripture tonight because there's something in it that caught my attention throughout this message. In Ephesians 4, in verse 11 through 15, it says, each of the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip, to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be, what? mature. Now, there's a lot of different ways people talk about what is maturity. And I believe the scripture actually tells us. We will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. And then he says what immaturity is. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We won't be influenced when people try to trick with us with lies to so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak truth and love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. You see, maturity in the church is not perfection. Maturity is being equipped to not be deceived by the wrong wind. And when we get to a place where we're not deceived by the wrong wind, and we submit to the right wind, that sound is what brings back order into our lives, brings back order into our country, brings back order into our families. Because what the world tries to do, the world tries to fix your marriage by giving you the wrong wind. So you you turn to all these ideas instead of submitting to his. The, The world tries to give us identity instead of leaning into his. So we've got people being influenced by the wrong wind. You know, we're really quick to condemn people that, you know, they're females identifying as men and men identifying as females and all that. But let's just call it what it is, that they are simply being influenced by the wrong wind. And a lot of that influence is due to the church giving out the wrong sound that has made them go, I don't want to be a part of that. So let me find myself. And they find themselves in something that they are never meant to find. And we blame it on the spirit. When when God says, I don't put the blame on that spirit. There needs to be a sound, a light, a saltiness to the church that people do not want to find identity in anything but God. We must abide in His Word and abide in unity. Encourage each other. Lift each other up. Let a good sound come out of this house that will cause everyone to run toward the sound, throwing away their lifestyles, walking by His breath. Even His breath has a certain sound. And it's not the wrong kind of judgment, it's a good judgment. His judgment is you're too good for this. His judgment is you're beautiful and that doesn't look pretty. His his very nature of judgment is just so good, but we've given it a wrong sound. I can't tell you how many people I've run into this month who we get into political talk. I don't know why. (laughs) And when they find out That this weird looking dude is actually a pastor. The first response is, I hate the church. What grieves me is that they probably have just reason for it because they've received the wrong sound. I say we shift that and start giving the right sound a peculiar sound that no other sound can match. He's a good father. Let's stand. Can we give God some praise? (laughs) (laughs) There's going to be prayer workers up here. If there's anything you need prayer for, take as long as you need. There's going to be people up here to pray for you. And I just want to leave you with this tonight. Just make sure we start making the right sound. Whether it be in your relationships, friendships, whatever, just just start making the right sound. Even when people don't hear your sound, start making the right sound. For some of us in here tonight, the right sound is simply, God, I'm coming back to you. Maybe for some of us in here, the right sound is just simply, God, yes. I don't know what that is for you. I just want to encourage you, get the sound in agreement with what God wants. Maybe you should go home at night and and start speaking some good sounds over uh, over people you know that you have spoken bad sounds over. You know what the great great thing is about the power of sound? You can reverse something you spoke by start speaking the right thing. Don't beat yourself up if you spoke negatively about something. Start shifting the sound. There there is no advantage to you beating yourself up. In fact, that is not a good sound. I I, I was convicted tonight, and I've been speaking this sound. Okay, cool. It rose up. It was judged. So throw it away and change the direction of the sound. Simple as that. That is repentance in itself, the good sound. Lord, we thank you tonight for this word. We are a people that are saying yes to you. So whatever you want, God, we say yes. Let us start being a sound that your lost sons and daughters are attracted to so that they would see you. They would start seeing a love exude from our lips like never before. That there will be a sound releasing in the praises of these people Monday through Sunday that is like incense burning that just makes the aroma of your presence spread everywhere, God. That your children would submit to your good sound. Can we just take a few seconds and just tell them how good he is? Start making a good sound right now. Just tell them how good he is. You're perfect. You're so good. You're a great God. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Go release a good sound.